The Robert Scott Bell Show. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Voice of health, freedom, and liberty. The Robert Scott Bell Show. All right, boys and girls, it's time for another exciting episode of the Robert Scott Bell Show. And uh, this is the this is the show called the Two Robs. And I got an extraordinary Robert, Robert Verkirk, all the way from the Alliance for Natural Health International (ANH) in in England. And uh, we've been pals for a lot of years. And one of the 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 guys that I just, like I said, I just smile when I think about him because he's done such great work along with Melanie Aldridge and the, and the team at ANH. And he's good friends with our friend, Jonathan Emord as well, and been doing the health freedom dance for a lot of years. He's also a great athlete in his own right, a cyclist and all the kinds of cool things that he gets to do. And I just love it anytime we get together. It's just not often enough. And I was even in England uh, some years ago and got to do an event that they were participating in. And uh, just just a lot of fun. Now, he's been through it on the other side of the uh, pond, as we say, in the Atlantic Ocean over the last three, three years or so of COVID. So we've got a lot to catch up on in terms of the experience there. But he continues to write for ANH and gives you perspectives on a parallel track that we can outcreate the so-called bad guys, which we love to do here. You're hearing a lot about that. People say, you know what? I don't want to invest in all of the, the bozos that got it wrong. How about we just do it right? Doing it right, right now with me on the Robert Scott Bell Show. Dr. Robert Perkirk, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much, Robert. Great to be here. And I'm speaking to you from Mexico, not from the UK. Well, I, we're, yeah, I we're, we're on our way over. We're on our way over to see you guys and to meet um, with all of our NH USA team as well. So, uh, but we're, 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 we'll be visiting later today. Um, probably another friend of yours, Ronnie Cummins from the Organic Consumers Association. Yeah. So we'll yeah. be with Ronnie in a, in a few hours' time. Well, I think about him every time I harvest my organic garden. Uh, and I just, uh, you know, a few days ago harvested about 40 pounds of carrots that we let winter, right through the winter under the snow. And it came out beautiful. And we have so much juice, I should be turning orange. There you go. Fantastic. But great to be with you again. Now, speaking of uh, catching up, uh, Melanie uh, Aldridge, co-author and editor, of this book, Reset Eating, sent this to me a while ago, and I've been meaning to get her on and you on, but you guys are so busy. This is a book called Reset Eating, and it's talking about metabolic uh, resilience, flexibility. Uh, you know, I talk about the adaptation syndrome from Hans Selye, the things that many people don't learn about, and the ability to adapt is survivability, not the, the fittest. It's adaptability, is it not? Yeah, it's our ability to bounce back from any kind of stressor. So, so whether it's a, a chemical stressor, the chemicals in your food that you're eating, whether it's a psychosocial stressor that is to do with the crazy society we currently live in, it could be relationship difficulties at home, it could be personality clashes at work, um, it could be any kind of um, toxic exposure. Or it, and of course, it could be, dare I say, even an infection. So mm -hmm. none of us can be immune to common circulating infections, but it's really our ability to bounce back from to homeostasis. That is what real health is. Because you see, the, 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 the medical system has basically captured the vocabulary around health and has got us into this idea that it's really about disease. And most people think that being healthy just means lacking a disease. But actually, resilience is a much more important marker for us. And 
you know, we've one of the reasons that we've just written a big piece on resilience is because not everyone understands that. Yes, Hans Selye birthed the um, adaptation, the stress response, the adaptation syndrome, and 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 that is a big part of it. But as we get more and more stressed, we think of our adaptive capacity. Um, you know, if you've got a big adaptive capacity, I don't want to bring my hands off screen here. Let's look <laughs> yeah. at the width of the screen. Um, mm -hmm. But if we don't respond well to stresses, this adaptive yeah. capacity gets smaller and smaller. And then something that we should be able to cope with, we can no longer do it. And, mm -hmm. and the big problem there is that we start to disengage our prefrontal cortex, the reasoning, rational part of our minds, and we disappear into the limbic system um, and the amygdala, which is kind of a, a pretty crude, it's part of our monkey brain in evolution. Like animal terms. brain, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And um, so, so we, we and, and this is really what's happened society-wide. And so one of the things that we fail to do when we are so focused on the problems around us is we, we forget about ideology. We forget about value because we, we, we keep on complaining about what's wrong. And it's really important now that we focus, again, what is it that we want? And if we can start to get a much clearer view of what we want, we will get there. If we, it's, it's like goal setting in any aspect of life. We don't set that clear view of our trajectory. We're not gonna get there. We're gonna be spinning round and round. And you know, I, I've got to blame myself as well. I think I've written 270 articles on yes. COVID, and all of its problems over the last three years. And you know, mm -hmm. gotta slap ourselves on the cheek and say, come on guys, where do we wanna go with this? Well, we hope that we, we could bridge the gap and get them back out, acknowledging, yes, what we've all witnessed and been through. And and yet um, many of the goals that we've set are not our own. They're often coming from others that through fear kind of put us into that lower brain that doesn't function at that ideal state, even uh, considering what is right and wrong so much is what do I got to do just to make it through just to survive this thing. And so we're implanted with thoughts that are not our own. And we don't realize how much we value things that are really not important to us until we set back. And I guess that concept of the reset, I don't like it from the great reset standpoint where they're trying to do it from a top down again perspective, but from the inside out. And, you know, again, even the reset eating concept of bringing that resilience back into the body. My daughter, who's a senior in high school this year, Rob, you'll love this. She's doing a senior thesis at her school where she has to write a long paper, all referenced and everything. It's almost 30 pages. And then she has to defend it. And it, and she decided to do it on uh, organic food, uh, non-pesticide laden chemical you know, agriculture and why that's important because we've raised her that way. And she began to explore in depth the resilience that she has that is misinterpreted as weakness, for instance, if she eats food that is chemically grown or laced with pesticides, her body rejects it as it's appropriate to do so. And we've yeah. misinterpreted it because I know I grew up on chemically grown food and I was sick all the time in my young life until I cleaned up what went in. And now suddenly my body was strong enough to reject toxic poisons, however minute, because it didn't belong in my body. So to reinterpret the body signals in a way that is not weakness, but strength. Exactly. And that's why we, we talk about if we look at resilience, which is simply your ability to bounce back from any kind of stressor, it has got a number of cofactors. And one of them we've talked about is, is your adaptation, your adaptability to it. Um, another one is resistance. We, and it's the, the exact point you've made. 
we we need to resist things that are not right and and this you can take from freedom of speech if if we can no longer speak out we have a problem because we 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 literally succumb we we fall into the system that they're creating for us and what we've done in terms of reviewing the whole um spectrum of values around resilience is is basically as i've always been doing for the last 40 years drawing all the the learning the teachings from nature because nature nature does this all the time and you you've just given us an example of this idea of, of rejecting a toxic food that is a that is a healthy positive response throwing it up so it doesn't <laughs> become integrated into the cells of your body and the tissues of your body is a great thing to do you can't imagine um, Rob, in- how many times i've lectured on you know the standard american diet and i said if you can go to a fast food drive through restaurant and not at least come out with some diarrhea you're not well <laughs> and they're like what wait yeah. a second i thought i was like a cast iron stomach and i'm strong because of that i'm like no 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 your body should not accept blindly everything in it unless it has adapted if you will the adaptations in them for survival because it's all it's getting and i said that in my own journey as a baby when my parents dutifully followed the doctor's advice and put me on formula instead of breast milk and i initially rejected it violently you know projectiled it out and i I figured the cells themselves figured if we keep doing this we're going to perish in infancy and so it decided at that point to say all right this is all we're getting Let's figure out a way to find something good in it and deal with the other stuff in a different way. Exactly. In biology, we've got this, this idea of tolerance, which is really important. So we can develop tolerance. So mm-hmm. I would say that, that, that the majority of people, the 99% of people who don't have overt celiac disease have a degree, but a varying degree of tolerance to gluten. In other words, they don't get an allergic reaction. But we know from the work of Fasano and others that it, everyone that consumes um, gluten is going to impact gut permeability through zonulin and the, the, its effect on the tight junctions. So, so we can have a degree of tolerance, but that doesn't mean that we're going to be super healthy by spending a lifetime on a grain-based diet that starts to catch up because we've lost perme- we, we, we've created um, this this impermeable membrane within our you know upregulating LPS lipopolysaccharides we're pushing ourselves into systemic in, inflammatory processes which are going to greatly increase in later life our risk of heart disease cancer obesity and and all the rest of them so that's kind of tolerance and and we've got to again in biology differentiate between tolerance and acceptance and and if we if we move to say the science the discipline of psychology you can see that we, we ask each other to be more tolerant of each other. And sometimes that tolerance is, yeah, I can put up with this kind of person within my space, but I, I don't really accept them. I can't really communicate them. I can't see them as a brother or a sister. And, um, and so, you know, it's one of the reasons when we look at all of these concepts, because they range from the physiological processes talking about logical processes, the psychological processes, but even the political processes, they all relate to res- resilience, which is why we think it's a, it's a kind of master concept that we can use mm-hmm. to build a framework that we really like. And, and so we, we, 
we build this smorgasbord of 23 different factors that go along with it and say, guys, what do you think about this? And, you know, even if you look at ethical values in, mm -hmm. say, medicine, look how the really, really fundamentally important things that are built out of the therapeutic relationship, empathy, compassion, dignity, respect. These are really, really important values. Look what's happened in the last three years. We've cast these aside and we've got wow. to bring them back into the core of how we practice medicine. It's interesting that concept of resilience versus what I would call fragility in intolerance, because we've seen such a level of intolerance through our last COVID crazy years is people have aligned themselves politically or otherwise divided themselves based on an acceptance of an experimental injection or the wearing of mask or the separation or the living in fear. If you don't live in fear like them, they cannot accept nor tolerate you. And it becomes an, an abusive scenario where you are rejected or as they call it canceled. And as you said it, even in the medical field, we've seen that for years in, uh, for instance, in pediatrics where the patients bringing their children or the parents bringing their children in, they don't want the jabs are rejected summarily from the, uh, you know, patient list. Now we find conflicts of interest play a role here, economic or otherwise, where the money involved with getting everybody fully jabbed is so critical to their livelihood that they, you know, they lose the humanity. It's just like you're a number to them at that point. And so the fragility that has manifested in intolerance is quite extraordinary in our lifetime. I've never seen such an extreme. No, and you're so right. And, and the other thing that's happened, and this was a, another important part of the, the article, we, we are this week going to be putting out a video version of it because we're um, slightly disturbingly seeing that people prefer to watch videos rather than read long articles. Right. Um, but but this, this idea of intolerance that we have, you know, the us and them, this, this polarization of society has now crept into our movement. So... We're seeing now the, the development of egos, the splintering of what should be a unified front. You know, we, we all believe in freedom. We all believe in free expression. We all believe in the ability to choose nature over new to nature molecules made by the pharmaceutical industry. Um, we, we, we don't want interference by big government in our, in our personal lives. So the, there's a huge amount of common ground but even people who support those values are finding themselves in a situation where they're fighting against each other. So we're, we're starting to see the splintering of the movement because I think people have been so locked into this polarization that they see you know, a 5% difference or a 2% difference, mm -hmm. and that's enough to reject someone, which what we would say is flip the whole thing on the head and say, let's work with the 95% or the 98% that we agree yeah. with. And, and, and be okay, because that's what nature does all the time. Be okay with the fact that there's some issues that we, we differ on. Yeah, the, the, the biodiversity concept, or bio, let's say, uh, yeah, when we talk about microbiome, which is a topic I love as well, you know, realizing how much we rely upon bacteria for our survival, or even a virome, if we can get into that as well. Uh, but it isn't just about one species. It's about, you know, these multiple species interacting and, and providing the very vital functions necessary, whether it be assimilation, elimination, uh, production of, uh, you know, with, we, within the biochemistry of the body, neurotransmitters, endocrine compounds, all of these relying on a biodiversity of what? Existence of life, uh, 
you know, not only a tolerance, but an ability to recognize in our differences, we can thrive. And, and I look at that as the microcosm and the macrocosm and how far we strayed from both. Exactly. And, and, and when you have people so fearful of, of a single virus, they have certainly um, developed this idea that, that anything that's a, a microbe, be it a bacteria, a fungi, or, or a virus that wants to come into their body is the enemy without understanding that actually we are more microbe than we are human, that, that even viruses um, generally have a positive impact. Even ones that have yielded major plagues historically have had survival advantages to the species. Um, and, and it may be that viruses are really fundamental genetic exchange, um, uh, you know, they're not organisms. They're not. They're not no. living. They. 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 sort of cross between living and non-living. Um, but um, in terms of the the genetic exchange and their role in in human evolution, they probably yeah. play an absolutely vital function. So this this idea of referring to them as germs or pathogens, mm -hmm. when many times they have beneficial effects for the body, um, again is very confusing for people. But it's again, we, we need to apply those same ideas to the fact that they, you know, we, we can have, most of us probably listening to this program may have decided to exercise our right to not receive um, a COVID-19 um, genetic vaccine. Mm -hmm. But we have, to, we have to demonstrate tolerance for all those. I mean, many of us are spending a lot of time dealing with, with um, C-19 vaccine injured people. Um, what we cannot accept is these people somehow falling into a silo between these highly polarized camps. We, we have to open our arms. We have to um, yeah. find ways of, of accepting them in, in every sense and doing what, because it's, it's our side of medicine that frankly has all the answers. Mainstream yeah. has very, very few answers because they won't even recognize the condition. I, I pointed out that we have not been tolerated for our views and our belief systems and our practices, if you will, whether it be homeopathic, herbalism, things that have pre-existed what we call the modern medical industrial complex. Uh, yet, uh, as I look back at all that they got wrong about COVID and so many things even prior to that, I, I point out to people, it's like, it's interesting how the same people that made those mistakes or maybe they had a nefarious scheme uh, behind them, are the ones that are looked at as the experts to solve the problem now as we move forward. And it's like, why don't they invite the people that were never invited to the table that happened to have been right the entire time? Where are the homeopaths and the naturopaths and the nutritionists and the herbalists and on and on it goes, the energetic forms of healing that are out there that recognize that we're more than just body chemistry, et cetera. And, and I think, you know, as I bring that up, Rob is like, oh, I never thought about it. You're right, we never invited you guys to the table to talk about any of this stuff. It's like. Yeah, and I know why, again, we talk about these institutional conflicts and economic conflicts of interest, but at this point, we've got to not wait for them to invite us to the table. We build our own table is the point and, and invite them to our table, and that's what I see happening. Yeah, look, the, the, the whole process is, is, as we know, has been in the making for decades, some would say even centuries. And if we look right now at the, the, there is a huge movement developing with through the Nobel Foundation, through a whole range of global institutions, that is about dealing with um, trust in science. The peculiarity of it, the, the the Nobel Foundation will be holding a major conference in in D.C., Washington D.C., um, in in May, 
And what it is planning to do is really raise the level of assault on what they call scientific misinformation. Now, we've written a, a big piece on that about three weeks ago that, that shows that the kind of multi-headed hydra of big corporation, big government that includes big biotech, big social, big pharma, you know, all of them together working with big governments are systematically destroying the scientific method. The, the very idea of presenting a hypothesis, then putting it out to experimentation to test the hypothesis, and then through a long process in which dissent, discourse, you know, occurs, people with, um, you know, who, who are naturally skeptical of those views will turn the whole thing um, upside down, try and destroy the hypothesis. And at the end of the, the line, if it survives all of that process, it starts to um, emerge as something that we might want to call scientific truth, if there is such a thing. I, I, I don't, it, it's a kind of objective truth. It's probably not an absolute truth. Um, now, that whole process is being dismantled in front of our eyes. And we've got to be very, very aware of how it works. Mm -hmm. And essentially, what, what the institutions have done, and the sociologists have, are all over this, they have redefined scientific misinformation as any information that does not emerge from the major scientific institutions. So just like the big pharma companies, big vaccine companies have, have now immunity from prosecution over vaccine injury, these guys have immunity over being classified as, as emitters of scientific misinformation. They've created immunity themselves. So we, however correct our dissenting voices are, we have actually been isolated from that conversation. And, you know, there's not going to be a mere culprit. They're not going to come back and say, hey, guys, we know that you were right mm -hmm. on um, the fact that the, the, the jab contents, the jab cargo goes into the circulation, um, can start to integrate into cells, possibly into DNA, um, that it creates a potentially very serious uh, impact on, on health and that uh, principles of informed consent were pushed aside as the mass rollout occurred, et cetera, et cetera. We're not going to have a chance to do that because the plan is too long in the making and they also know how we're going to react. So what they've decided to do is completely marginalize us um, to place particular labels. So that the label of anti-vaxxer, you know, we've just done a, a huge study of the Vax Control Group to show that um, actually of the over 300,000 people around the world who've signed up to the Vax Control Group um, system, where you get a card to, to show your, your, your status as someone who's not received one of these vaccines, the majority of them have had childhood vaccinations. So the idea of just calling them anti-vaxxers yes. when they have uh, had an issue over the way the mass rollout of these particular so-called vaccines has occurred is, is a misnomer, yet it's become part of the parlance, part of the system to make people who are part of the in-group yeah. uncomfortable about joining us. And so conspiracy theory, anti-vaxxer, the new one, is 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 scientific misinformation yeah. so but of course at the heart of it we what we're showing is that actually the scientific method itself which we honestly believe is still valuable as a tool 
nothing more than a tool, a tool to try and understand the world around us, yes. we can actually produce scientific information that is meaningful and useful to society. The system that they've got that's designed to protect truthful information does the exact opposite. So it's yes. one of these classic situations where, where everything has been inverted and yeah. people haven't woken up to what's going on. Yeah, the irony of those who uh, proclaim that we would be purveyors of misinformation because we question uh, official narratives and even provide evidence to the contrary of what they're saying is that they say we are anti-science. But the irony is that when you can no longer question or engage in scientific methodologies to validate or invalidate hypotheses, that's pretty much the definition of being against science or scientific inquiry, discovery and uh, progress, if you will. We, we, we just released um, last week a, an infographic that shows that. Um, I'll send you the link and maybe okay. you can put it up because it's, yes. it's really, really helpful. It explains it in one infographic um, exactly what's going on. That is the system. It is one of the big battles. You know, we, we mentioned the importance of ideologies and values. And, um, you know, this is a really fundamental time in our lives that we need to kind of scratch ourselves and say, are the ideologies of the mainstream or even of those of us who are taking a different path, are they appropriate for a kind of future fit life for the next generations? Um, and if we can't understand exactly what's going on because, you know, it has deliberately been set up to create this cognitive dissonance to yeah. take people out of the prefrontal corporate, you know, cortex and into the midbrain so that they're not thinking anymore. Um, that's what it's about. So, um, yeah, we, we've got to move forward. If we can produce tools that help people to understand these pretty complex processes mm -hmm. um, and then share them through, and, and of course, we are, we're all massively restricted in terms of what we can do. Um, I'm here in Mexico because we have a, a social media team over here that's working um, with us internationally who are doing an amazing job trying to work around the system mm -hmm. but my goodness the algorithms that we're having to to work around these days and the artificial intelligence that we're having to work around makes yeah. makes life very very we, difficult covered, that's why we need resilience yes we do and rob we've covered recently uh on the show how uh the new thing is counteracting true misinformation True misinformation. What, what, what? Orwell is is back and alive and well. And the idea of true information is that the fact that it's factual what we're sharing, but we don't like the outcome of you sharing that. It could result in things we're not happy about. And so they're arguing that we also have to restrict you from telling the truth that they now acknowledge as being true. Uh, it's astonishing what we've what we've witnessed, and we're still witnessing. Exactly. And, and this is, the, I mean, this is where the rubber meets the road in terms of the, the current issues. Um, Robert, I've just sent you the, the link to the, to the scientific misinformation graphic that, uh, on the chat. But, oh, thank but yeah. you. Yeah, that would be in the notes. That's beautiful. I appreciate that so much. No problem. No yeah. problem. Well, I um, want to talk to you about, if you don't mind, in just a moment, I've got to announce some upcoming events that you'll be pleased to hear about as well, um, about our kids, the next generation, how they've survived or not, or thrived or adapted, whatever the word is, through the restrictions, the fear that has been, um, you know, portrayed to such a degree more than any time in our in our lifetime, 
and see how it's impacted them. And I, I can ask for you in, in relation to your kids and I could share as my kids have experienced it as well. But first and foremost, our good friend, Jonathan Emord, a stalwart champion for liberty, is running for the United States Senate here in America. And he's got three events. I'm going to be heading out after the show today to join him uh, in Virginia, a tour of Virginia, Wednesday, the 29th of March, Thursday, the 30th of March, and Friday, the 31st of March, Rally to Save America. And it would be amazing to see our friend Jonathan Emord in the United States Senate uh, for uh, the Commonwealth of Virginia uh, to elucidate and, and, and be able to communicate the need for freedom, including scientific and medical freedom, of which he has fought for in the courts for many decades now, uh, to lead to, again, a better future for us all. And I know there are many people that say you can't do it from within. At the same time, Rob, we all have a sphere of influence and we all have a, 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 a let's say, a, a, a guideline or guidance to follow. And in Jonathan's case, it was his own children that I think stimulated him into further action, realizing that even as he's defeated uh, the FDA in court a world record eight times when they have fought back against scientific advancement and validation of natural substances that can help mitigate disease, reverse disease, prevent disease, etc., he realized that it wasn't enough and he had to do more. And this is why he's on that journey and why I support him wholeheartedly to engage in that effort to become a United States Senator. Absolutely. You know, I think Jonathan has been one of the first people in the U.S. to remind people that while they're being told all the time that they're living in the freest society in the world, that while all of that's been happening, America has been moving in the same direction as many, many countries towards ever greater levels of authoritarianism. And um, so this authoritarian creep in which the, the agencies, the bureaucrats effectively run the show on behalf of an executive that is no longer answerable to the public, where you disconnect. And, and, and that's why he's, he's standing for the Senate, because he, you know, this principle of democracy that is so important, at the moment there is, there is only a tiny proportion of truly democratic. If you, if you look at the, um, the Economist, they, they have actually a, 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 an index that, that is measuring the rise of authoritarianism. And there's only about 5% of the population of the world now who live in truly democratic countries. Um, and America is, is, is falling away rapidly. And we, we can see um, exactly what's been happening under Biden, much, much more connected to the global cabal. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the, the principle, we've, we've seen the globalization of our food supply starting 25, 30 years ago. Um, and, and which is why now if we push for, you know, consuming organic local food or want to, you know, have um, pasteurized raw milk, we have a problem, um, despite the fact that people have been doing that for, for centuries. And, and these are yes. battles that, that uh, Jonathan has um, firsthand experience in, in trying to um, deal with. So, yes, it, it is really, this is a critical time for America to understand what is happening through the agencies, through authoritarianism, if you want to protect some of the fundamental principles that are in the absolutely astounding. I mean, honestly, what the founding fathers did, the, the, the creation of the constitution that's been right at the heart of all of Jonathan's work, it is, it is a masterful piece of work. And to see that slowly being subsumed by um, an undemocratic 
process that is answerable to a global cabal is something yeah. that is so, so disturbing. And, and that's what Jonathan is going to try and redress. Now, it sounds like housekeeping is coming to try and clear up your room. <laughs> I heard some taps That, on that is one, yes. Um, yeah, we're dealing with that. Okay, brilliant. Ah, awesome. Look, I, I'm asking now about that next generation, our offspring, my kids, your kids, um, how they were impacted. No one's come through unscathed per se, but the question is, is there resilience in the next generation? I mean, you as a dad will raise your children, uh, I think much like I have perceived raising my children differently from when I grew up medically and pharmaceutically to give an opportunity for them to learn about their bodies and the symptoms, what they really mean, as opposed to, oh, you have a symptom, you have a drug deficiency, run and get a drug or a vaccine or a shot. My kids have never been jabbed, any of them, and they've never even had to resort to an antibiotic, thankfully, because of what I know to do uh, homeopathically with silver hydrosol things you've worked with as well over the years. Yeah. And I guess the question is, you were, of course, in England here, I'm in the States. What kind of experience did you have in terms of having them maintain their bodily integrity and their freedom as well to as adults to make decisions on their own that might be different than what we would like them to make well look similar thing they they, they are quite used to the process of being in a minority so if you look at the, my youngest kids that i'm that are still dependents um obviously they haven't ever been received a vaccine. They have not um, obviously received the C19 ge genetic vaccines, um, but they were in a minority. Now, yeah. the for me, the important process is that they they were perfectly fine. It reminds me of that film Midnight Express when the, the, the catalyst point is where the John Hurt character decides to walk in the opposite direction of all the other prisoners. That was the wake up moment. So you have to be able to feel comfortable being part of an out group. And the thing that's impressed me most about my kids is they are, they are totally comfortable with being in that place. Yes. There are certain conversations that they don't have with certain people because they know that it will be socially excluded. So, you know, that there are some people who are unaware. They don't necessarily have their hand up telling the world about their, their vaccination status or their, their lack of a C-19 jab. But, but yeah. um, where it's appropriate, all of their closest friends know it. They also respect it. So there's a trickle-down effect. Um, mm -hmm. and, and they know where they can go to our website and find a huge repository of articles. And we have seen that many of these articles have been fed to the parents of some of those children. And it certainly has um, stopped some of them and some of the parents receiving booster jabs, for example. So, you know, I think that that's how society has always worked. It's, it's understanding trust that occurs um, from person to person mm -hmm. rather than having to lose any sense of empowerment um, or, or self-determination yourself yeah. to rely exclusively on the state. And, and you know, this comes back to, to what Jonathan is fighting for. Um, we've got to change that balance and understand that we as individuals are able to exercise free will. That doesn't mean that we're going to be selfish and we're going to destroy all our neighbors because nature doesn't do that as well. Look what happens in, in a, a rainforest. I mean, there are animals, frankly, who yeah. eat each other the same way as we eat other animals. You know, if you're a meat eater, you're eating other animals. We just got a different way of, of going about doing it. But within that system, there is a web of understanding of which way around things happen. And it can be done, believe it or not, respectfully. 
um, this idea of losing any individual power, handing everything over to the state. Just look back at history. Do you know there's not a single example of where it's really worked successfully for any period of time? It always ends up collapsing at some stage. Yeah. Well, to your credit as well, and I love that you describe your children in that way, like my kids. Yes, the minority of minorities in, in what they believe and perceive and how they interact with the world, yet they've maintained their integrity and strength and, yes, found a way to navigate, in some cases, learning who you can talk to about certain things and who not. And I, I'm, you know, imagine growing up with that level of awareness and consciousness on top of normal peer pressures of being a young person or even a teenager. I, I'm just blown away by the potential. Now, if we raise them up as we want them to be, not because... Um, we just want them to live that way, but we don't. That's the what we call hypocrisy. These kids can see through that. And and people ask me, how is it your kids still eat organic? They're, they're basically young adults now. I'm like, it's because all we ever did was that. We didn't pretend to and tell them to do it and then sneak around them and, as if they couldn't see and we're eating the garbage food that we grew up on that we know doesn't work for us anymore. We must become living examples for that next generation and they'll learn how to do that for others as well. And I think that impact will trickle out as a positive influence as opposed to the negative influence we see coming from other entities, again, with massive conflicts of interest that most of these young people have no earthly idea about. Yeah. Keeping a positive frame of mind around what is happening in the world. I mean, that's one of the things that I find is important over dinner conversation with my kids. Um, you know, it can be very depressing. It's, it's, it's designed to be, if you signed up to mainstream media news, it's designed to be depressing. It's designed to disempower you. And as soon as we start thinking negatively, actually one of the most profound negative impacts on our health is negative thinking. Negative thoughts are dangerous. And um, positive thoughts are healthy. Um, there's a huge amount of science, as you'll be very familiar with, Robert, ar around that subject. So when we think of potential conflict, we, we ran a shop a few months ago with um, psychologist um, David Charalambas called Behavior and Communication Magic. We're going to get the videos over. They're going to be available at a nominal price on our website um, in the near future. But essentially, we have to relearn how to communicate with each other, with people who are in the same kind of ideological set as ourselves, which we might want to call societally the outgroup, and, yes. and also how we can converse with people who are in the in-group. And um, you know, one, of the, one of the ideas that David presents to help people with this, imagine a boxing ring where we're used to people jumping into the, the boxing ring and fighting with each other. And you might feel that that's what you have to do because this person has a, a view that is so diametrically opposed to your own view. And what you need to say to yourself is, let's not go into the boxing ring just now side of it and let's understand what we have in common so you know we learn new techniques you know when someone comes at you and says i cannot believe that you were so selfish you didn't have the jab mm. you know you can respond and saying you have children don't you and as soon as you're able to explain to them you know that you have this i the same concern in common that you are trying to do the best for your children and they're open to that you're able to seed a piece of information that may be a scientific paper you know you can't hit them with facts straight away you have to open them up 
open yeah. that emotional connection with them before you can start feeding facts. And one of the, the issues that we often fall foul of here is we've got a whole pile of facts at our disposal and we just start flinging facts at each other. Yeah. It was only about when we do that. We, yeah, we end up throwing facts at each other, polarizing ourselves <laughs> even further. So we've got to make right. that emotional connection. And another idea he presents is this idea that the system has set up this Teflon coated route that we're meant to be taking. It's so easy to just get onto that Teflon, think of it like a roller coaster, and you just get on it and you smoothly, there's no great risks involved because you're not told about them, even though it sort of takes you to the edge of a cliff. Um, but then to, to the other side of it is this rocky road that some of us have preferred to take. And we have to understand that when we take that other route, it is tougher, mm -hmm. but boy, it doesn't take you to a cliff edge like the Teflon route does. And, and so we've got to learn to navigate that. And if we can help our children and give them the strength and the resilience, the, the ability to open up these communication channels by yeah. connecting with things that are really important to all of us, not just mm -hmm. some of us, to all of us. Because ultimately, most people do care about having some kind of a future for not only their children, but, but for our species. Yeah, I find that uh, th that we have much more in common than we have perceptions of differences. Yes, we can always find them, but that's part of the natural order of the universe. And it's by design. We are not to be identical in every way, even if we have a common home and ancestry in terms of our origin point. And I love finding those things that align us because the light comes on, the eyes get happier and sparkly when you recognize those things, yet they are difficult to achieve when we have been hardened in a sense and, and, and drawn into the corners, if you will, within the boxing ring, getting ready to go into a pugilistic battle. Uh, and, you know, the Utah Safe and Effective documentary uh, was about that, an apolitical attempt to bring people out of that hardened state, to have human compassion for one another, the people that were injured, and then describe all of the, you know, as we talk about the institutional conflicts of interest as to how this happened, why this is occurring, and that we need to, you know, forge a different path, not based on somebody else's. These are the only two ways to go about it. But mm. here's some thoughts to consider, seeds to plant and see what grows. I've never considered that. Oh, my gosh. Where is that going to lead in terms of going forward and not making the same mistakes because we lack actual historical knowledge of how we got here uh, because we've been frightened away from actually investigating real history. Exactly. I mean, if we, if we take concepts like inclusivity, which I think, um, you know, all organizations now, ESG demands that, that inclusivity, diversity are, are parts of it. We, we've, got, we've got to understand that we can't have inclusivity if it's going to have a form of selective inclusivity, which is effectively a type of exclusivity. To, to say, you know, we will be inclusive of people of any gender they can choose whatever pronoun they want but we will exclude those who've made a particular medical choice i mean let's yeah. remind Exclusive. ourselves if, if that if that is i just you know, exclusive inclusivity i mean it's like again orwell orwell all all the definitions words don't mean anything and you have no solid ground upon which to walk or even make a common you know space and place where we are actually tolerant in a genuine way not to the point of 
intolerant tolerance. <laughs> but what, you know, what does that even mean? Now, I want to switch gears. I know we got about uh, 10 or so minutes uh, left in our interview today. And this is a very special time for me. Every time I just smile, you see me smiling as Rob's talking because so much uh, alignment and mission and purpose and spirit. And yet we're divided by an ocean most of the time. And I'm looking for an excuse. To not, come back. not at the moment. Uh, in no, Mexico, I don't believe there's an ocean between us. Not, not at the moment. This is true. But also finding a time to be able to bridge it and, and visit you in England again. If there's an event that I can attend, I'm looking for an excuse to make it over again because I had such a great time seeing you guys there, much less when you visit here. Uh, but, you know, one of the deepest controversies when we get into the, I guess, the eggheady, sciencey part of it, which we both love as well, but I also love being able to communicate it to everybody. Uh, you brought it up, the, the the virus issue, and there's so much controversy about it. I've got, a, you know, in my audience, a real distinct categorization where people seemingly are intolerant of one another. If I talk about viruses, half the audience hates that I actually acknowledge that they, that they may exist, much less the other side says, well, they exist, but they don't really cause disease, right? So we get into controversies where I have kind of just stated this. I said, all right, back up for a minute and and, and imagine a future. We're going to look back and say, all of us, we're so wrong about what we thought these things are or were. And, and, I, and I am aligned more in purpose with in, in mission and all of that and acknowledging that when we talk about these uh, non-life entities, these protein capsid structures carrying genetic material, that it may be more or less uh, an evolutionary advantage of communication at a deep level and or maybe arguably some level of detox and cleansing processes. But then again, on a scientific basis, and I say, Normally, when we want to, uh, let's say, find out what's going on that's overgrown in a body, we can culture things like bacteria. We can see fungal species very relatively easily coming out of the body. Oh, look what's there. But with viruses, it's very strange and different. That You can't just pull it out and go, look, it's there. They, they do all kinds of crazy things outside of the body to then finally come to the conclusion via things like PCR that it's there. And it's not the same thing, and yet we are not allowed to necessarily challenge and say, hey, there's something that doesn't add up about the whole viral causation hypothesis. Well, look, uh, the, the, there is no doubt that there is, and this is one of the areas in which our own movement is very divided. Um, yes. and, and if you look at the people who have really been at the forefront of the no virus exists, because you've got, even within that group, you've got a subgroup. So yep. you've got some who feel that no viruses of any form exist. And I remind them to look at all of the, um, you know, the best place to start looking for viruses is the ocean. There's more viruses in the ocean um, mixed up in the phytoplankton than there are anywhere else. Um, many of them are also bacteriophages, so they're interacting with the bacteria. Um, and um, so, uh, um, you know, we, we, I've written actually a very big piece looking at this you know, idea of viral descent. And, and there are other people who, who say, um, I believe that viruses probably exist, um, but I don't believe that SARS-CoV-2 exists. So th those, are, those are the two groups. Um, right. As you rightly said, I mean, the pivotal point around it um, is based around Cox postulates. And, and you'll be aware that these postulates were posed in the late 19th century. Um, they were then subsequently amended by Rivers and others um, in the 40s after they discovered um, so-called viruses. Um, the bottom line is, uh, I, I don't believe that there is any convincing evidence to suggest that, that viruses do not exist. I think there is a huge, if you look at the ecological data, 
um, you know, where, where, where the problems occur is using a genetic method in order to disclose the presence of RNA or DNA viruses. And, and the bottom line is, um, is you know, we, we are looking at something that is not much more than nucleic acids. They are largely DNA or RNA, usually enclosed in a protein sheet. So um, bottom line, it, it has become a very important way of looking for um, the presence of nucleic acids. Um, and, you know, essentially we need to be looking not just at what's happening in terms of human pathology. That's the mistake I think that many people are, are making, but to look much more at the overall study of, of ecology and the presence of, of viruses elsewhere. Now, we, we have actually approached um, some of the doctors, you'll know um, Dr. Cowan in the US is, is one of them, um, and um, they have refused to have the wider debate looking at the full ecological processes. And um, so, you know, th this is again, I think uh, an indication that that the um, the methodology, the approach that they're choosing to use, because let's face it, they're getting a lot of airtime um, mm. by by pushing forward this idea. Um, but um, and and of course, they also another problem I think with their hypothesis is that they tend to argue that there is either a germ theory, a Pasteurian germ theory, or there's terrain theory. And there is no combination of the two. One of the things I said to them, well, if we're going to have a debate about the presence of one theory or another, let me ask you two questions. First of all, why do they have to be exclusive? And secondly, why are we only talking about two theories? Couldn't there be another <laughs> 10, 20, 30, 50 theories? I mean, mm -hmm. why are we going to limit ourselves? Um, and what tells you that other are the only theories remember that they are theories that explain life my own view is that we are babes in the wood when it comes to really understanding the sophistication of life we do not really understand life itself if we start to apply some of the emerging science in the field of biophysics and electromagnetism we start to move closer to mm -hmm. a whole new vista for how life goes on We've yeah. been locked into this biochemical genomic approach to understanding life. And frankly, it isn't enough. It doesn't really explain. Um, you know, a member of our team uh, this weekend, um, and I have to accept a degree of blame, she's taken up mountain biking um, oh, since joining oh. us. Yeah. And she had a big crash on Sunday and oh. broke her collarbone. Oh, no. And, um, and um, the NHS that is strapped for, for funds says, you know, let's wait three days and see if the bones join together. And it was a, a complete break. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, if you look at the process where two bones that are completely broken can read and this required of those coming together and rejoining and and bottom line, we're, we're now two days in. It looks like she may avoid um, having pins or plates mm. in there because of this remarkable yeah. process. Now, that's not biochemistry and it's not genetics, but it is the electromagnetism, this matrix, this yeah. biofield. And, and we're just at the beginning of, of understanding this. And who's to say beyond that, there isn't something mm. else that we'll understand?
I, I do remember reading years and years ago about uh, a book, uh, Mutant Message Down Under, uh, about a woman who took a big walkabout in Australia and, and found herself in the midst of, you know, with the Aborigines. And uh, at one scene described uh, one of the tribe members falling off of a cliff and uh, severely breaking a bone uh, to the point where it was external to the body. It had it, it come out. And then they all gathered around this, you know, injured victim. And she witnessed the bone going right back in and, and restoring itself before her very eyes. And uh, when it was described by the tribal members or the, you know, the wise ones, they said we were all we were doing was uh, reminding the cells in that body what it was like before the injury. And so we talk about memory and water. We talk about it in terms of homeopathy and intelligence. If you're a chiropractor, innate intelligence. Again, that's the plus factor. There's so much more in a materialistic reductionist Western mindset that has been rejected, which is to your point of expanding germ theory versus terrain. It's so much more than that. Even though I have great uh, affection and affinity for those that have embraced the terrain uh, over the germ theory, because I think that we've gotten so far imbalanced towards the germ that I'll take a little bit of extreme on that side to help kind of shift the consciousness. But also at the same time, I acknowledge what you say, the weaving in of both to some degree to explain things that are inexplicable by the exclusion. Again, exclusive, inclusive. Yeah. <laughs> of the germ theory, you know, it is not the germ theory as Pasteur originated it, but the, mm. this, the people who totally discount germ theory seem to be very happy with an idea that a microorganism can never be a causative agent of disease. And what we would say in certain circumstances, pathogens, because they basically the immunological system of the host isn't sufficient to deal with them, um, there are instances um, in which the, the pathogen can cause symptoms of disease. As it happens, many of, you know, in many cases, those symptoms, I mean, take a common cold, for example, are, are actually the immunological reaction to the presence of that pathogen. But without that pathogen, that immunological response wouldn't have occurred. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it can be very, very nuanced. And the idea of throwing the, the baby out, of the, of the, you know, the, the baby out with the bathwater and saying, look, viruses do not exist and microorganisms can never be agents of disease, I don't think stands sure. scrutiny if you look at the overall totality of the evidence. Yeah, my, my sense, of course, of is I've witnessed claims of viral causation, however, that it's been used by industry and government that is purchased or captured by industry as an excuse to avoid looking at the toxicological burdens on the ecology, on the environment that give rise to what we call pathogens, right? That are the result of rather than the cause of. And we see alterations of what grows in any environment when you pollute that environment. Again, so I, I again, this is where I acknowledge my bias now towards terrain as the primary explanation with other offshoots that don't discard germs per se as uh, uh, probable if I can call them causative agents or contributing agents based on what they're given, the environment that they're given. Yeah. Contributing agents or cofactors is a much better, the, the, the difficulty we have is with this idea of linear causation. Um, it, right. It's been, it's, it's, it basically is, is an idea that's been dreamed up by pharma companies and there's no doubt that the pharma companies have massively exploited 
um, linear ca causation, which is a, a completely flawed concept in the first place. And they've also yeah. completely exploited this idea of going after the pathogen as opposed mm -hmm. to building resilience in the broader sense. Um, yeah. If you like, immunological fitness would be another way of looking at it um, nice. ecologically that allows us to have tolerance um, and sometimes much more than tolerance to the point that we actually develop. I mean, one of the ideas that, it's, that, that we know from the hygiene hypothesis that we know is it's a very good idea to have our kids playing around in the dirt rather mm -hmm. than living in these anti yeah. you know, hermetically sealed environments is because mm -hmm. they're building their immunological response to a very wide range of microorganisms. The intelligence of the immune system is this ability to discriminate between self and non-self and determine mm -hmm. when it encounters non-self, whether that non-self agent can actually present a real threat, whether it can be dealt with at the you know, barrier, you know, physical, biochemical, um, external level, whether they can accept that into the body and then deal with it through um, an innate response, an adaptive immune response, et cetera, et cetera. But denying the role of the immune system mm -hmm. in the last three years has been one of the biggest problems that we've, we've had in terms of how people, yeah. I mean, everyone's had a kind of crash course in immunology, but it's been um, a course that's followed a line. And we were still hearing um, pharma companies trying to explain that the, when you, when, that the entire immunological response occurs within the deltoid muscle, that is the, right. the injection site, when, when we see copious evidence, I mean, e even the myocarditis and pericarditis that's now on the agreed side effects list of, of harmful potential, albeit relatively rare um, effects, cannot occur from a reaction that's occurred only in the deltoid muscle. Right, exactly. And, you know, look, raising kids as I have differently than I was raised pharmaceutically, uh, navigating even these so-called infectious uh, scenarios that occur in life, a normal part of, of being alive and having a body. And we've been able to navigate without resorting to what I call toxic chemotherapeutic agents from the pharmaceutical industry by utilizing homeopathic medicines, herbal medicines, and, uh, you know, the bioactive silver hydrosol, which you know also so well, that can reduce that burden, uh, you know, that uh, that opportunistic scenario without harming the overall biodiversity, which is quite different from an antibiotic. Uh, so it isn't that I've ignored those issues that have arisen in my children, but I've never had to resort to those toxic chemicals, thank God, because of what I've learned in this lifetime, having gone through them myself and having to overcome all that it did to me. Exactly, exactly. It's awareness. And, and the reality is that um, if we can help governments to understand if we're able to exert a degree of self-control over our lives and our health choices, we actually provide a massive solution for them. Healthcare systems, allopathic health systems are breaking under the strain. And if those of us can have enough freedom, those of us who choose to do it our own way, everyone needs to choose the kind of um, approach to health that you and I are taking. But there's a who choose doing that the the burden on the system is going to be sufficient to just yeah. crush them and and i want those systems to be open if i break my leg 
I probably yeah. want to be able to, you know, depending on how, how well my bones can find each other post right. the break. Yes. Um, but I want to be able to go to one of those places. Um, so, exactly. um, yes, we, we need to, people uh, value of mm-hmm. self-care. It's really effective. Yeah, and then it comes back around to the freedom issue once again. We are not here to abolish any system, but to provide free freedom to decide how you want to uh, move forward in this world and in freedom that we can innovate and we can do much better than in isolation, separation, and fear-based uh, viewpoints on even disease, whether it be infectious or otherwise. Uh, Dr. Robert Burkirk, uh, we could go on for days and never run out of things to say to each other and, and to the audience, and I love that. Uh, to be able to hang out with you is just a great I, joy. Do you know, I love, I love, I love the 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 idea of looking at freedom, but also looking at this concept of reciprocity. You know, if you mm-hmm. look at how nature works, all agents in nature have this degree of freedom, but they're always giving in order to get back. So mm-hmm. when people get scared of this idea of freedom being synonymous with anarchical societies where everyone right. is just completely selfish. Actually, you can be free and you can actually still engage with your community in ways where you're giving, you're getting plenty enough back and everything yes. works swimmingly well. So reciprocity and freedom are actually wonderful partners. Yeah, and in freedom, you you find that there's a natural inclination to want to help others, not because you're forced or threatened, but because it's it's a joy that bubbles up from within your capacity to do that. But when you're free to help yourself, then and then and only then I believe you're free to choose to help others. And that's what I call true charity as opposed to at the point of a gun, which is not. It's a whole different thing because it's operating under fear, which is a dis-ease state where you are not adapting very well for survival, as we talked about so much, tolerance, acceptance, intolerance, resilience, resistance, all of these concepts, the philosophical discussion alone, even if we got into none of the science is great, but the fact that we can also dive into that, it just is a great joy, Rob, and you know how much I appreciate you and Melanie and the entire team for the Alliance from Natu- uh, for Natural Health, ANH in the USA, as well as anhinternational.org. We have those things linked up in the show notes at robertscottbell.com, including the chart that you sent. So I'll check it out and share it, become part of this resilient new way or new path forward, or maybe it's an old way rediscovered. And we're gonna be talking on resilience with Crowd Resilience in Austin on the 1st of April. There's gonna be a big meeting with Del Bigtree there, and I'm speaking there alongside Brian Kolb. You know, um, it's under that, because the, because the meetings are called resilience, I thought, hey, why don't we define really what resilience is? And so we've done this piece of work in advance of the 1st of April meeting. All right. Well, we'll have that linked up as well in the show notes. Dr. Robert Rickert, my pal, my buddy, my brother. So good to see you. Love to the, the entire team there in Mexico. And when you come to the States and enjoy it, I hope to be able to see you up in the snowy mountains one day again soon or mountain biking. I'd love to do that. Absolutely. Robert, such a pleasure. And, um, you know, lots of love to your family as well. Be so, so good to catch up again soon. All right. That's Rob and ANH. You guys check it out. God bless you. And remember the power to heal is yours.
All right, y'all. Hour two commences now. And uh, afterwards, I got to hit the airport and head out to Virginia for the three-city tour with my good friend, Jonathan E. Mord. Remember, running for the Senate, not a small task. And this man has taken on a big task in his lifetime, defeating the FDA a world record eight times. And he realizes when, when they don't follow the orders the court gives them that he's got to do even more. So he's running for the Senate to defeat Tim Kaine, uh, the lockdown Democrat of Virginia. Now, I don't like to do politics per se because I recognize the Hegelian dialectic tends to divide us. But I do acknowledge the behavior of any individual with whatever label they proclaim or party they claim to be a part of. And if you're not for health, freedom and healing liberty, we're not going to get along all that well. I'm just saying and I get along with people real easily. Uh, but that's a that's a bottom line. You start you start using force and fraud and deception to force me to do something I don't want to do. And if I did that to you, you'd have all the all the right in the world to, to push back. But no, we're about freedom here, health, freedom and healing liberty. So the three city tour, you can check it out at emord4va.com. And right after that, flying down to Clearwater Beach through Tampa to be with my friends at Nutritional Frontiers, Jamie Dorley and the crew. We're going to celebrate Judy Mikovits birthday as well as Joe Messino's birthday and get a lot of vitamin D. At least that's what I'm hoping for. I'm, I'm about done with uh, scraping snow off the driveway. I don't know. And this is this is all the payback for all the years I was in Florida. And I would laugh at Super Don having to do that the winter while I was just just look at look at me in shorts. Like, but now it's it's uh, 35 degrees and it's like, oh, shorts weather. How crazy is that? Adaptability. It's amazing. Also, a quick shout out for those of you who know the uh, super antioxidant known as Folium PX and the Folium products. This is what got my mom back to dancing at 88, now 89 years of age. She had some rough times in the past three years uh, as, as healthy as she's been. And uh, we got her on the Folium, the three-pronged approach here. It's the super antioxidant Folium PX, then the Folium Immuno, and then the Folium Relax. You guys check that out. If you want to dance at 89, you might consider this. Chernobyl-level antioxidant, even counteracting radiation. Foliumpx.com is the website. Use the code RSB5 to get the discount. And with that, you know, I've talked about the insanity of what we've been through in the past two and a half, three years with COVID, but the recognition and the awareness that sh shifted through the great difficulty, uh, the destruction that has occurred, and the loss of life even, friends that we've lost along the way. But now we're at a point in time where more people than ever, including, yes, including doctors and nurses, are looking to the plant kingdom for solutions, for answers, rather than dismissing it as, you know, that's just old stuff. Now we got these synthetic chemicals that we might have made from plants, but they're the real deal because the Fear and Death Administration, what's that? The FDA has approved them. Of course, they approve that which becomes the third, second or first leading cause of death, depending on your perspective. And so where was or where is even today the invitation to people who know about herbs, plant medicinals, things that were written about even, yes, the Bible <laughs> it references all the plants of creation used not only as nourishment from a food perspective, but food as medicine to heal us, to help us to bring that power to heal back where it belongs. And that's with each and every one of us coming from the source beyond government. That's God. And that's what we're going to talk about this hour. Someone who should be invited to the table, as well as not only the herbalists, but the homeopaths, the naturopaths, the energy healers, anybody that can bring healing about without harming. In other words, without causing more disease, destruction, and even death, should have been invited to the table to discuss what's gone on and where we're going now from this moment forward. For the first time on the Robert Scott Bell Show, I am going to welcome 
Tanya, the herbalist. And I don't know what took me so long to get you on this show. Tanya, welcome to the Robert Scott Bell Show. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm honored to have you on board. I mean, the use and the discussion of plant medicinals, even though there's been a, I guess, a, a cadre of people, millions of people around the world, perhaps, that have been using plant medicinals forever, even through the, the history of the 20th and early 21st century, where it seems like that's been abandoned. It's all about drugs. There are a lot of folks like you, and I don't know your full backstory. Like me, I was raised pharmaceutically, and I had to come to natural medicine, homeopathy, and herbs in my adult years to recover from all the poisons that were given to me by the official doctors. So that was my journey. Some people were born into natural medicine. I wasn't, so I'd like to hear a little of your backstory to warm us up. Yeah, for sure. I definitely wasn't born into it as well. I actually stumbled upon it when my mother was left on her deathbed and she was on a ton of pharmaceuticals and not just pharmaceuticals, narcotics, oxy, ziplocone, everything wow. you could think about um, for a rare neurological disease that she's got. And so she was left on her deathbed and I was maybe almost 10 years ago now and I had a total mental breakdown where I was grieving my mother while she was physically still alive and she was on so many meds and the doctors just told her there's nothing that we can do. You're going to take this until you eventually go paralyzed and you die from it. And I had a hard time accepting that and I hit, a, I hit a low point. I had a breakdown. I took time off work and I just sat by nature and I was praying and just waiting for some, like meditating for the first time ever in my life. I really tried to just quiet my brain. And I think I had just maybe spent just enough time in, in prayer and in nature for about a week every single day. And then I felt like nature communicated with me where I was like, wait, I had an aha moment. And I was like, there's something natural. There's got to be something natural that we can do for her plants. Like, look what's around us. And so I went and I purchased my very first book ever, learning about medicinal herbs and pen and paper, old school. I just started to go down that rabbit hole and tried to figure out what I can do to help my mom try to come off of these medications, help her pain and do what I can. And so yeah. she fully on board was like, make me your guinea pig. So I started to make Alexa's concoctions, whatever I was learning. And I was blown away from the knowledge being like, I didn't know this was derived from this and so on. And yeah. so... She got off of her narcotics that she was on for over a decade. And the doctor's like, there's no way. Like, you don't get off of synthetic heroin right after you've been on yeah. it for a decade. And so she oh. did. And she was laughing again, talking again, like getting out again. She was living again. And so I just ran with it. And I realized that pharmaceuticals are maybe there as a temporary solution, not as a long-term solution. And plant medicine is I find even more effective longer term results without all the toxic side effects. And so that journey, I went down the rabbit hole. I didn't even know herbalism was a thing when I had first started this. I had no idea. So and then I, I found out that it was a thing. And so I studied it. And then I just. Tanya, how old were you when this revelation hit? If, if I missed that, I apologize. That's OK. I was about 26 years old. OK. So, yeah, for me, my start was at 24. Uh, so yeah. I'm fascinated. Again, it's a fa uh, the, the journey back to health, back to healing sanity. Uh, often born out of, again, desperate situations. You talked about exactly. your mom. For me, it was my health primarily that I was suffering uh, from. And yet my mom, uh, as she learned about the things I was learning about too, we found she had health issues. She was at the time uh, taking, you know, a lot of medications like a lot at that age. And even the 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 menopausal medica medication they talk, from horse mare urine that they mm -hmm. synthesize, right? All this causes cancer. And we got on an organic diet uh, began to detoxify my liver, her liver, all of that. And at a certain point in time, and, it, and she wrote a, her autobiography about it. There's one point where a giant like growth started happening on her back, started building, building, building. And it was like so painful. She it was red. It was angry. And we were under the care of a homeopath, my mentor at the time. And he's like, 
no, this is good. This is a good sign. In the meantime, her friends are all going, go to the doctor. It could be cancer. You'd get, you know, get all the drug, get this, whatever. And she continued with the natural remedies. And eventually it opened up and hard tissue. I mean, things started coming out like a body had sequestered a lot of years of garbage to throw out. So we were encouraging it to come out and she became younger and healthier, more vital. And as I said, now at 89, uh, she's still functioning and not as well as she'd like to, but more well, way better than most people at 89. And now she's dancing again, doing the things that we talk about, including using herbs and homeopathy. So again, whatever drives us and motivates us, usually our love for ourselves or our family or friends, even, you know, I got to do something, I got to do something better. So what an exciting journey. And I'm so glad that you're here to to talk more about the discoveries you make. And by the way, at robertscottbell.com, we have links to tanyatheherbalist.com. And it was funny, we were talking about, what's your last name? Is it The Herbalist or is it just Herbalist? <laughs> Nobody knows you by your last name because it's like, who knows Super Don other than Super Don, my producer now? It just, it, it, it kind of becomes you. And, and that's it because that's, that's really where it started. So for me, like, it wasn't just my mom. I had chronic anxiety. They tried to give me antidepressants for the longest time. And thank God, because of the bias that I had towards my mom, I didn't want to take any of the antidepressants and I had insomnia, I had gut issues, I had IBS, I had endometriosis, everything you could think about, you know, where it's like, we don't know what's wrong with you. We don't know what's wrong with you. Take this pill, it might help you. And eventually just got to the point where when I went down this rabbit hole, I started to learn how to heal myself. And that's exactly what I did. So I became symptom free, I overcame my anxiety, I started to sleep better than I've ever slept before. And when you kind of go that route, and you start to realize it, and this is also what, you know, going down this rabbit hole, you know, in the last few years, when all this kind of came up, I was like, wait, 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 like, is everyone forgetting what the root cause of like, like disease is and how to kind of heal yourself and what health actually means? You know, you can't just mask symptoms and think that you're on your way to, to, to health and vitality. So. Yeah. I'm looking at your website and you have a, a, a join a free group, the healer six figure formula community. Yes. Uh, you have a, a book, so, Medicinal Herbs Guide for Beginners. This is great. Organic herbs and spices. We're all organic here, and yeah. that's that's the way we do it, and I know you know it. And there are even opportunities for one-on-one private sessions, I guess, for those really wanting to get a, a kind of a, a quicker head start on what maybe right. they need, what could help them. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. So the medicinal herb guide is like the best thing to start with because this is for someone who's like, I know I want to learn about herbs. I don't know where to start. So it's a nice book that kind of teaches them everything that you need for from liver detox and kidney detoxes and women's health, children's health, men's health, you know, anxiety, sleep, skin care, all of that stuff where you're learning about the medicine right there and then how to use it, you know, making teas out of it and that type of stuff. Um, my healer six figure group is actually something that I, you know, divine intervention kind of showed me the way to do it is because I started to grow more and more popular where people were asking me advice about so many modalities of healing and there's only so much that we can educate people on healing right yes i'm an herbalist but when you're in the holistic health industry you learn about organic living and you learn about farming and gardening and all these different things but i got to a point where i was like okay i understand that everyone's coming to me but i need to now empower other healers because there's so many modalities chiropractic homeopathic naturopathic you know um dietitians, nutritionists, there's just so many energy healers. So I figured, you know, I'm going to build a community where I can actually help people in the health and wellness industry, turn their businesses online, get to more people and grow that way so that there's more of us and we can essentially change the definition of what healthcare looks like. So instead of me trying to help everybody, now I'm really working towards empowering other people with this knowledge to get it out there and start building themselves. 
beautiful, brilliant. That's the thing I realized as well, having grown up pharmaceutically in my Western upbringing in America, I realized how much I had been lied to and deceived all, and, and often by people who meant well and really believed what they believed, right. uh, but they had erased the entire history of natural medicine here in America. And I had to unlearn a lot that I had learned to that point and learn completely, you know, turn my world inside out, upside down, but empowered me. And I thought, wow, if anybody, you know, needs help, they need to know this too. <laughs> and you become in, immediately almost like that, uh, you begin to proselytize and it's like, you got to learn to go, Oh, chill out, man. People aren't always ready to hear what you're so excited about right now. They're not ready to change their diet to organic. And, you know, I went into broadcast media in 1999, five years into my homeopathic tenure. And, uh, I just, you know, I was so excited. I just had to communicate what I had learned, realizing that not everybody was ready for it, but eventually I, they'll catch up, you know, perhaps when they're suffering as much or more than I was suffering, you know, because everybody's level of suffering, you have a level of tolerance, somebody has more, somebody has less. And I'm like, for me at 24, I had had it. I'm done. I got to find a better way. I don't like where I'm going. I don't think I'll be alive in my 40s if this keeps up. And so that was my journey to lead me to all of this. And again, I, I appreciate what you've gone through to do what you're doing as well to not just heal or let's say bring healing to one person at, at a time, but to empower them to do the same or better. That's a that's a godly mission, in my opinion. Thank you. Thank you. And I find that sometimes like over the last few years, especially because some people, it really made them question the entire system as a whole. And I love to just start with, let's just discuss where herbalism and homeopathic and natural medicine was kind of pushed out of the system, brought in. Right. And I find when you start to educate people on like, do you even know when the transition happened in the early 1900s? Because when they start to know, they realize okay, wow, I didn't know that. I didn't know that you can't even teach herbalism and homeopathic and all this stuff in school. You know, it's all became allopathic. And when people recognize that, they start to realize, okay, maybe there's another way of me learning that if this is the only way I'm really able to learn, if it's the only way that doctors can actually teach and, and diagnose and treat is through the pill for an ill mentality, then obviously something is broken, but that's all they're allowed to do. And when people learn like, this is all they're allowed to do. It's like, yes, or they can lose their license, which is run by the exact same people, right? So you have your license run by the same play, like bunch of people that are running the, the school system and the education system. And it's kind of one big monopoly, essentially, when it comes to the healthcare system. Oh, yeah. And that monopoly is profiting very, very well over continued disease management that, ironically, they actually contribute to creating Exactly. It isn't just about, you know, we've heard about it. We don't have health care. We have sick care. And I kind of call it disease management based on what they do to intervene almost from the day, really from the day you're born. If you if you fall prey to the hospital setting and a, a baby is born, they automatically give a hepatitis B shot with aluminum. I'm like, you know, what kid do you know sneaks out of the delivery room and gets a tattoo with a dirty needle? For instance, right. it's just so absurd and stupid. By the by the way, uh, they should know better doctors. They went to medical school and graduated, apparently, even nurses. And immunology 101 is you don't even have an immune system of your own when you're born. You're, you're relying completely on maternal, if you want to call them antibodies. But the, these are things that take time, years, in fact, to develop, to be able to you know elicit the so-called holy grail of, of I call junk immunology with vaccinology to inject them. And hopefully they'll get an antibody. It's like they don't even have an immune system. What are you That's doing? Right. That's right. I feel like there are a bunch of, you know, I want to say the R word, but let's say they're morons at this point. Medical morons that would do this. It's criminal, right? To do this. 
Yeah. So and have- that's, that's a whole other rabbit hole of its own. And once you realize that you're like, okay, wait, how can you tell me that this child who's born, who has no immune system now has to fight off this disease and better yet at two months, we're going to give you another six diseases in one and then follow that by four months and six months and keep following that where it's like, even if you did believe in them and think that they work, why would anyone need to get like six in one or even a three in one? Like your child is ever going to receive all of these diseases at the exact same time. And it's sad because you definitely see the correlation between the autoimmune and cancer and all the different diseases that we're seeing now. And I'm sure you hear it all the time where the common argument is like, well, what do you mean? Our life expectancy is longer than it's ever been. And it's like, no, it's not. You're comparing it to a time where there was malnutrition, you know, unsanitary water and living, you know, lifestyles and stuff like that. And so, of course, their quality of life and their their length of life was shortened. But as soon as that changed, as soon as, you know, the sewage system was improved and, and all of that was kind of improved, longevity started to go up. All of these sicknesses had already been eradicated. And then right around that same exact time is when they introduced a lot of these vaccinations and then they said hey this is the reason why we've kind of introduced like now things are improving and one of my favorite books that i tell people about with that is is dissolving illusions such Ah. a powerful book to like open up your mind about what happened how it is and Mm -hmm. where it's at now and you can't ignore the fact that you look around you and at least everyone and every other person is is struggling with some kind of long-term disease that they believe is incurable yeah yeah, Suzanne Humphreys is amazing. We've had her on over the years. She's awesome. She's great. Uh, Dissolving Illusion, great book. And, you know, the history of, of medicine that, that has been hidden from us, particularly in the West, and that includes our friends in Canada, the North, is uh, something that has been used against us, our ignorance of history, That's that right. we buy into the lies that, you know, again, there are true believers within the medical field. They no, they don't know either. Uh, and I'm not excusing that any more than I'm excusing myself for not knowing what I didn't know, but I'm not going to condemn myself or them for not knowing. But when you do know, I believe God asks us to do better when we know better. And that's the question is like some, some are, I've seen nurses and doctors doing real repentance on the things they didn't know. And they're horrified by what they've learned, but they're trying to make up for it. And I greatly respect and appreciate them, welcome them into the fold and want them to learn from Tanya, the herbalist and others. Mm-hmm. Uh, to do better now that you know better. And, and and that's the exciting journey we're on at this time. When when, when we hear that that uh, biblical and other concepts, we've heard it said many times, we are made for such a time as this or these. Uh, this is uh, our journey. This is our mission. This is our passion. How we've gotten here, everybody gets here differently. It's unique. There may be similarities, but it's exciting that we're here now. And uh, well, creating a parallel track, because it's not like we have to go in and destroy the old one. It's it's crumbling in and of itself. We just got to pull our energy and reserves out from that because it sustains itself by our fear and and playing their game. And we no longer play it. It just crumbles. And now we have to set up uh, the new way, which is kind of the old way. Bringing back our ancestral ways of living. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So have you had a a lot of uh, controversial times, particularly in the last three years, like we have being banned and, you know, uh, uh, man, so so much vitriol and hatred sent your way simply because you didn't buy into the narrative? Yeah. So I actually, like there wasn't very many people at the very beginning speaking out. And I did my first video in April, 2020 that 
pretty much went viral that was saying like, this is not about your health. And if it was about your health, then why is there, you know, aluminum in your water? Why is there fluoride in your water, uh, aluminum in injections? Why is there aluminum being sprayed in the air? Why is there fluoride in your water? Why is there microplastics in your water? Why is there mm-hmm. chlorine? Why is there GMOs in your food? And I just kind of went on this rant being like, this is not about your health. Like this is about control. And there were so many people that were like, oh my God, thank you for saying it. And so many people that were just like, on attack mode and some of the nastiest things like they wish death on you and i was like that's okay but what started to happen i think where my strength grew even more and more is the fact that i was getting so many private messages of people sharing their personal stories you know my this person died and i wasn't able to join them and my mental health and my brother just you know overdosed on this and hearing all these stories i realized like this is creating far more damage than it is helping people and so it just empowered me that much more but Ever since then, oh yeah, it's been like nonstop. I find it's a lot less now, but there's definitely still those people that believe everything that happened is real and the consequences of what they implemented was worth it. But it's a matter of like, I find standing firm because I find what happened is when the shift started to happen of people recognizing and questioning what was going on is because of how firm we stood through it all, never shifting, never moving away, knowing solid, you know, in, in our cores, what this all entails and that if you actually want to be healthy here's the root stuff that you actually need to know about being healthy so that you don't have to worry about an injection or a mask coming to save your life Mm -hmm. did you lose many uh, friends or family members and i don't mean necessarily life and death because we have lost friends that way but i mean cutting me off yeah cutting off that you thought oh yeah my two oldest brothers haven't spoken to me since i've i've been doing all of this so many people I, i i've lost over that but to be honest with you, I, I don't even feel it. I'm just kind of like, if that's all it took for you to stop talking to me, and after three years now, you still don't see it and haven't come around, wow. then I feel sorry for you. And I just got to keep focusing on the ones that want the help. So, did, did I hear a Canadian accent when you said sorry? I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> you tell me your origin point because I don't, I don't know. It's like I just heard a little bit of uh, link on through there. But uh, uh, born and raised here in Canada. So. Okay. All right. So you were hiding it. Well, not that intentionally, but you know, when you have a broadcaster's voice, you really have to look for or listen for that as I did. (laughs) But for me, I I mean, I can go back to my, my deep roots go back to New York city, New York. Right. But I lost it because I left as a kid and I neutralized in Florida and then went Southern in Georgia for 30 years. And if I get to hang out with some of my old friends, you'll hear the Southern come through. Uh, so just appreciate that very much. And, you know, I was just on with a, um, a group up there, Freedom Lovers Canada. They have a weekly Zoom meeting and they invited me on. We talked about a lot of things. And uh, my my concern, of course, and I, I was able to uh, go up to Canada of like five years in a row for the Total Health Conference in Toronto many years before the COVID stuff happened. And I just had a wonderful time. The people were great. And the people that came to the event were holistically inclined. Obviously, that was what it was all about. And what I would ask them about their system, because we hear about the antagonistic view of America's system. Oh, it's so cruel. And I'm like, I'm not saying our system is great because it's really not rooted in freedom anymore. Right. But I said to the my Canadian friends, I said, you guys have a single pair socialized system. You like it? Yeah, we like it. It's great. It's really co- compassionate. You don't go bankrupt doing whatever. I'm like, all right. Now, those of you at this event, how many of you use that system? Oh, no, I would not. Use, I wouldn't use it. I mean, I'm like, wait, 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 wait hold on a second. You said you like it. It's awesome. It's really compassionate. Yet you wouldn't use it. Why not? Well, because all it covers are drugs and vaccines. And, you know, if you need surgery, I'm like, I don't want to use any of that. I don't do that. So what about all the poor people that, you know, this stuff is poison for them? You think it's good that the government's covering? I'm like, there's cognitive dissonance everywhere. And until we come back to our senses that 
any government of the world, whether it be a socialized system, single payer or so-called capitalistic, which is free, not free market. There's no freedom. There's conflicts of interest. Disease is profitable. And the only thing these governments know is to promote the allopathic medicine. There's no herbal medicine covered. Even though I could go to a health food slash natural pharmacy in Canada, find herbs and homeopathy and even naturopaths and homeopaths there, but they weren't part of that system uh, officially. And I'm like, we have to grow up and mature beyond this idea that the government is going to take care of us better than we can take care of ourselves. 100%. Yeah. And especially because in Canada, everyone thinks, oh, healthcare is free. It's amazing. And it's exactly like you said. Yes, it's free, but it's because it's essentially making you sicker. And then once you're actually sick, like if you don't have coverage, you're paying for all your prescriptions, you're paying for all your medications, you're paying for your, you know, your, your, your insulin, everything, everything you're paying for that. So it's, it's not, I don't, I'd run and, and keep in mind the taxes, right? So that's a whole other thing of its own. So you're paying, you know, upwards of 43% taxes on your income. Well, that's, what's paying for this entire thing. So I would rather pay for private healthcare, get proper healthcare, but you're right. It's a very broken system where this is their way to essentially get the poor sicker and remove them essentially. And the middle class kind of turn them into being poor. And unless you have money, you know what I mean? That's your, really your only, your only chance to actually being healthier because, and they don't just do it through the medication. They do it through the entire food system, right? Yeah. If you think about it right now, there's inflation and people that don't have very much money only can afford to buy everything that's processed and that's horrible and that's feeding their cancer and their diseases. Right. Yeah, exactly. And and that's so such an important part of our journey back to responsibility for our own health because we are the feeling that we're victims, and I felt this way growing up because the doctors didn't know. We don't know why you're sick. Could it be genetics, bad genetics, whatever? Take this drug, kid, and get out of here. Have these shots, have surgery, all of that. And there wasn't anything about, you know what, we might ought to look at the food you're eating and see if that's impacting your liver, which is congested and toxic which I'm like, not one doctor ever said either of those things until I met the homeopathic doctor that I began to study with and then suddenly transformed my life. Now I have two children, basically adults, 23 and 17 and a half, almost 18, never been vaccinated, never even once had an antibiotic. And so we have never had quote unquote health coverage for their entire life. And, you know, we've never had to use anything other than I'm just trying to think. Do they get stit? No, we, we were able to care for everything. Now, if there's a role for insurance, I've argued historically, that's about it's under admiralty law or jurisdiction. When you pooled your resources like a ship was going to gather goods and deliver them back. And then everybody kind of uh, shared the, the cost, but shared the risk. And that was a different kind of concept. Then they brought that on the land and said, we're going to do that with your health. And we're not going to tell you all the things that really cause ill health. We're just going to have you pay into this system directly or indirectly through taxation in that case in Canada and pretend it's free. And then we're not going to cover anything that can actually prevent disease or exactly. But we're going to convince you that's the only way you can do it. And look at them, look at the United States. People are going bankrupt because they can't afford healthcare, which is not healthcare, which is drugs, disease management and all of that, because nothing in the system supports real food, encouraging you to grow your food, getting connected with your farmer or becoming your farmer. And then utilizing the herbs of history, our ancestors, that was the basic medicine. Like when I went to West Africa twice and as a homeopath, I went there and I'm like, they look for me for great wisdom. The white guy from America. I'm like, dude, throw out our medicine that we gave you. We're killing you. We're killing all of us. Go back into the bush and save the medicine of your ancestors. That can save us all. 
They're like, whoa, that's, I never heard anybody say it. It's like, yes, but that's the truth. And that's what we're talking about coming back to sanity. And I know that we can't reach everybody, whether it be in Canada, whether it be in the United States, but many people are recognizing maybe for the first time that that system that we have believed in and trusted in and fell for like, oh, they're going to care for us. Good, loving mother and daddy government and all of their offering is not going to sustain us long term. It's destroying and bankrupting us. The very thing that they say, oh, you're going to go bankrupt if you don't have that health care. Having it is bankrupting entire nations. That's right. That's right. And it makes you incapable of being able to to think, act, and live for yourself, right? So it makes you even more dependent on this governing body to take care of you in every way, shape, or form, right? In order to work, eat, you know, heal, all of that versus empowering ourselves. And I find that like a lot of us over the last few years, especially, you know, so many joining more, it's more about empowering yourself, like teaching yourself. If they're not teaching you in school or your children how to grow your own food, how to harvest your own food, how to make your own medicine at home, well, then it's our job to teach our kids that and teach ourselves that, you know what I mean? And if they're not going to learn how to, you know, build a business and do all of this stuff and build a home and work with your hands and do all, then it's for us to do that versus, you know, living in a box, looking at a box all day, working out of a box, eating out of a box and kind of having this whole box like mentality instead of being like, no, this is not the way we're supposed to live and stop handing over your power. And I think that's the Mm -hmm. biggest thing is people just are quick to hand over their power with the false identity and false idea that they're just going to take care of me and tell me what I need to do in order to be able to survive. Yeah. Tanya, we just did a documentary uh, called Utah safe and effective question mark. And it's an apolitical documentary. It's really not political and it's not taking sides per se, but just points out the, the reality of those who have been harmed, injured, even killed and trying to bring that soften the hearts of the people who have been hardened over this issue politically or otherwise, and then goes into the institutional conflicts of interest on all levels, medicine and state, uh, medicine and media, medicine and religion. And it really is eye opening. And I encourage if, if those of you haven't seen it, it's available for free for everybody to watch Utah safe and effective.org Utah safe and effective.org. And this is one to share even with doctors, because it's also very, very well validated and referenced. All of the things that we bring up, you can actually, outside of the movie, you can click on the website and go, let me see if that's real and go look and see. And I, you know, I know that we can't get to everybody, but there are people that have been beaten down. Finally, they're maybe looking at this a little differently. And maybe one day your brothers will talk to you again. I don't know, Tanya, but uh, I'm sorry about all of that. We've lost people we thought were aligned allied with us and and they 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 chose fear over love and i'd love to bring them back into love if that's possible but tanya yeah if you haven't seen it yet as well i mentioned that for that uh freedom lovers canada group that i was on zoom a a week or so ago Uh, but i'm i'm asking you how you're doing in canada is there a movement beyond just you to to awaken the people and i again I'm, i'm i'm not delusional i know we can't get everybody but is there some kind of movement grassroots movement that's seeing through some of this and maturing beyond it well i definitely feel like i'm actually in ottawa where the trucker convoy happened as well so it was nice to actually see so many people come out and do that like you know seeing it the problem is where i am for example in ottawa is it's a bureaucratic city i would say upwards of 80 percent of the people work for the government which means they have to comply with everything. They're not allowed to speak out or everything. And it all has to do with their jobs. And so, you know, a lot of people say, oh, Canadians are such nice people. And I, over the last few years, especially was like, "Mm, they're nice, but it's because they're complacent. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And I find that there, a lot of them are pushovers, but however, there are a ton of them, especially 
and nicely enough since the convoy happened that just pushed them that much more to be like oh now i want to speak out against it and i want to kind of go with the movement so um i definitely find that there's more of a fight in the u.s and you know there's a lot more grit and fight in that aspect whereas canada it has to be almost like forced out of you and sadly a lot of people were like only starting to speak out when it actually came close to their home versus wanting to naturally protect the community and the neighbors around you um but it's definitely a growing community. It's nice to see. So for example, you know, I never wore a mask. I didn't comply with anything, but you would start to find your group of like-minded people go into the stores that weren't pressuring you to wear the masks and push mm -hmm. that for other people to know that they can take it off and they can go and shop at these stores. And so there was a movement and multiple ones happening in that dynamic to being like, you can still live a normal life without complying to the, you know, draconian rules that they're trying to impose on us and so there there's definitely a good number of them it's a smaller number like i would typically probably be one of two people in the entire store not wearing a mask when you're talking about a massive superstore like a walmart kind of thing yeah. um but the fact is is there was a lot of people that would be like how did you come in here not wearing it what did you do like this you know so they're asking these questions and yeah. versus just blindly walking along so I find that it's it's grown more and more over time, but it took a lot of seeing people set the example, empower them, and then continue on that way. So what is your response when I say this? Uh, contemporary Canada is what happens when you're nice to tyrants. Yeah, it's it's that's exactly what it is. It's essentially hmm. you giving away your power, thinking that they're going to protect you and you're willing to let them do whatever it takes to you or your family or your loved ones, as long as you're guaranteed you know, food and security in a home. And yeah. it has a lot to do with, I, I actually shared a meme where it's like, there's two images. There's there's the lion that's running wild in the jungle. And then there's a lion who's in a cage. And the one in the cage says, um, you know, I'm in a cage, but at least I'm guaranteed food and, and water every single day. And I know where it's coming from. So just keep taking care of me and I'm okay being in my cage. And the other one says, well, I'd rather one run wild, not know where my food is coming in from, not knowing how you know, guaranteed tomorrow is, but at least I have the freedom to go out and find it. And it's crazy because so many people would actually choose the caged lifestyle to just have that guarantee, not even realizing that they're enslaving themselves. Yeah, it, it's it's astonishing. And it's it's sad. It's mad. It's all of those things. I feel the human emotions. Yet I like to be inspiring people to go beyond that because, you know, those emotions are manipulated to divide us more than they are to bring us together, to recognize we have more in common in freedom. Than exactly. we do in tyranny and to recognize that tyranny comes under the guise of I'm only here to help you. And, right. and it's just unfortunate that we have, uh, you know, nations of children that are not behaving as if they're adults. That's right. And it's been it's the divide and conquer, you know, has been something that's been conditioned for a very long time. Right. Any way that we can divide people in race, culture, religion. Uh, you know, and especially during COVID times, it was like unvaccinated versus vaccinated. Oh, you know, there was a, I don't know if you ever saw it, but there was actually a poll in Canada that went around with thousands of responses that was like, if someone's unvaccinated, what do you think they deserve? Nothing, jail time, fine punishment. And it's like, people were actually responding back. Like they lost their complete sense of humanity instead of just being like freedom of choice, do what you got to do. They actually got to the point of being like, they deserve to be punished because they're selfish and they're harming other people. Yeah. Not even realizing that, like you said, safe and effective. How many people are dying from the implications and the side effects and everything like that? And you don't even care to learn about it because the news or the TV or your little box that you're listening to is not telling you that. And it's mind boggling because they'll have the argument of like, well, at least they didn't die of COVID. I'm like, you're right, but they died of suicide because of the lockdown. So what's more important to you? Whose life is more important? 
We're talking with Tanya, the herbalist, Tanya, the herbalist.com having a great conversation. I, I, I knew the moment I saw our website, I was like, we're going to, we're going to just, it'll be easy. Uh, there's no pulling teeth here. And even if we did, we'd use some herbs to help you recover yeah. uh, as well. 100%. Uh, yeah. So uh, let's talk liver for the moment. Let's, let's go into some of these herbs because, you know, I grew up spraying, pe- spraying uh, dandelions. Oh my gosh. We don't want dandelions in our lawn. Now I come to find yes. oh, I'm poisoning <laughs> the planet and I'm poisoning and killing a plant that can detoxify the poison from my body. And now Oh, dandelion is a, the start of my day, uh, every day, kidney liver tonic. Uh, so let's talk about some of the things that you've learned. Yeah, I love that you said that about dandelion because you're right, it's true. I cringe when I'm taking my my summer and spring walks and people are just doing everything to remove those dandelions because not only, it's like nature and God made no mistake. When you're going out around you, whatever you see growing abundantly around you is nature telling you consume me. There's no mistake in that. And when it comes to dandelions, especially... They're growing. If you're noticing every year, they're becoming more and more rampant and they're growing like crazy. And why is that? Because dandelions actually neutralize the soils. And when you're seeing our soils being depleted of their minerals and, and, yeah. and their, their benefits and, and their microbiome, even it's like the, the weeds are literally there trying to neutralize the soil and you're removing it being like, no, I'd rather keep my soil dead pretty much. And so it's crazy because, yeah, my son, since he was very young, is out barefoot and picking up dandelions, you know what I mean, and and eating them. And I was like, that's good. You can eat every part of it. It's incredible for for detoxing, for skin, for for water retention. It's got so many benefits, right? And in and, and Ottawa, Canada here as well, another uh, liver or uh, kidney cleanse is, is burdock root. And it grows abundantly here, abundantly. And when you see that, it's like, this is nature telling you, consume me. How many people need to flush out their livers and kidneys? I talk to so many people who have never even done a detox, never. Oh. And don't even realize it because it's not about the food that you're eating or the alcohol that you're drinking. It's the products that you're using on your skin, putting in through your skin, you know what I mean? The air that's being sprayed, everything, everything. And so you know, I love dandelion. I love burdock. I love milk thistle. It's a very, very gentle one. It's one of the easier cleanses that I typically would recommend to someone who's maybe more sensitive to some of the detox herbs. Uh, red clover is another really good one. There's there's so many different ones that you can use and it should just be used regularly to keep cleansing out your liver and your kidneys. Like you said, you know, they're overloaded with toxins. Yeah. Every day our liver tries to do its best to undo the things we do to it. Now, it'd be one thing if it was just addressing metabolic waste from a healthy lifestyle. No big deal. You might not need anything in addition, but we are so far beyond that. As I said, my journey to recovery started with my liver. Homeopathically, we take a lot of the herbs but I uh, and convert them, but we also utilize the herbs of, of creation. As I said, dandelion is a daily go-to for me as far as supporting basic yeah. functions of liver, kidney. And those of you dealing, and I hear a lot about this, edema, uh, lack of, you know, the movement of water into it or out of the body appropriately. Yes. And I, and there are vascular issues associated with this as well. But you, you know, you mentioned um, not only the, uh, the dandelion, but the burdock and other things. And these things are just starting points. You know, they're not the ending points, but if you don't right. start sometimes at that base level, even if you get good herbs, and I've said this about homeopathy and other things, we can jump to these end stage symptoms that are covering symptoms that are covering symptoms that are covering symptoms that started when we got backlogged and toxic and accumulated and weren't able to eliminate through the lymph, lymph, liver, right. kidneys, colon, et cetera. 
Right. Whenever I do a consultation, the very first thing I'm saying is we need to detox before I'm going to try to do anything. We need to detox, especially if you've never done one before. And like people don't realize the ripple effect. Right. So it's like we're overloaded with toxins. Even if you're as healthy as you could be, eat organic, it's impossible to be toxic free. It's just we're, we're overloaded with it with in and, and, and every way, shape or form. But most the biggest thing is I find the the commonalities in the correlation is constipation. Mm -hmm. And that's another thing that people don't realize. It's like, okay, well, if your liver is, you know, full of toxins, and you haven't cleansed it out, well, it's not secreting enough bile. And if you're not secreting enough bile, what do you think bile does? It's almost like the lubricant through your intestines and your colon. And so that's create like a big cause of disease is literally constipation, you're not eliminating things. And then what starts to happen is it eliminates through your skin. And then people wonder why they have eczema and why they have, you mm -hmm. know, acne and all this stuff it's because it's trying to similar to the story that you said about you know that that wealth on your your mother's back is because it's trying to come out of the yeah. system and if it's not coming out one way it's going to find another way to come out and so i detoxing will just help with your bowel movements will help your skin which help with like everything and that's where you need to start because you can sit here and try to mask the symptoms i could tell you oh do you have like anxiety you're on antidepressants and i could tell you an herb that can help with your anxiety for sure but we need to detox if you actually want any of these things to actually help long term, because if not, it's only going to have so much benefit before you need to cleanse the body of all the toxins so that your organs are running properly so that your nervous system and your central nervous system is actually able to absorb what you're putting in. And what is the first thing a doctor does by writing a prescription for a medicine is to poison your liver, your, your liver, you yeah. your lymph, everything. And even if there's a, a, a role to play occasionally in an acute in, 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 you know, intervention to save your life, even those can be addressed at least concurrently, you know, with a lot of the natural medicines that we use. And I know that uh, they're all worried about, well, the, what could the herb have a negative interaction with the drug? I'm worried about the negative interaction with your body. The drug has by definition. That's right. So we're, we're looking at the wrong, we're worried about the wrong things. You know, I even talk about the minerals that come in through uh, real food, organic food and organic soils. And of course the herbs that are grown there as well. Uh, these minerals are part of the healing process, like selenium. And yet doctors say, oh, be careful with selenium. It could be toxic. And copper. Oh, my gosh. Don't be careful of copper. And, uh, you know, we find how essential these are to major metabolic functions, including both selenium and copper play roles in phase one and phase two liver detox pathways. And right. these things are part and partial to the, the natural order of the universe that we've corrupted by poisoning uh, the, the, well, the soil, my, my daughter in se senior year, she just did defended her senior thesis was all about organic food versus chemical, synthetic chemical agriculture. And it was a fascinating, fascinating journey. She, cause she grew up or all organic. She's like, well, I should probably learn more about why I grew up this way. I'm so proud of her. What she did was amazing. And, uh, we just have a whole generation or two or three or more of people that have been so disconnected from the earth that we live on and how it sustains us versus how it doesn't, that we've got a lot of, uh, like I said, in my, in my journey, deprogramming from the cult of medicine and, and big pharma and all of that, and then relearning or learning for the first time these basics that I didn't learn as a child, you didn't learn as a child, we learned as adults. Right. And I always say, it's not like we're pharmaceutical deficient, <laughs> right? Right. You're obviously like something from nature, organic foods, nutrient deficient, laughter deficient, love deficient. And I, I just want to throw out that it's pharmaceuticals. A lot, I know a lot of people will think, oh, it's pharmaceuticals. Oh, I'm not on any pharmaceuticals. Well, pharmaceuticals is not literally just a prescription that you got from your doctor. Pharmaceuticals include something like Tylenol, mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. which is like the number one cause of liver failure, right? Which has so many ripple effects. It's horrible for you. Or, you know, aspirin and all these things where some people come to me and I'm like, there's things that you could do for headaches, for pains, like including one of my favorite ones is white willow bark. It's actually the active ingredient in aspirin. It is nature's aspirin. That's what they make aspirin from, but without all the side effects, you know, or fever few for your headaches. There's so many things that you could do, but pharmaceuticals is also also over the counter. Any drugs that you can grab off of the shelf has its side effects. Tylenol actually has a black box warning so much so, and it's still available on the shelf and people don't even know. There's studies that were done and completely dismissed by the FDA. I love what you called them fear and something administration, fear and death death administration is, Mm. is they disregarded those scientists that said like kids cannot consume this at all. Number one cause of liver failure, liver transplant, all this stuff. And here we are in a society that a number one thing that you're taught as a parent, aside from the vaccinations, the number one false thing is fevers are bad. Yeah. The number one biggest hoax that was ever taught to any parent is fevers are bad. You got to suppress it as soon as it's happening. And then, so not only that, they're suppressing the fever, they're throwing Tylenol to to, to young children and suppressing their immune system from such yeah. a young age, instead of allowing their bodies to build the natural antibodies that they need to at such a young age by letting the fever run its course, doing what you got to do to support the fever, yeah. allow it to build the antibiotics. Because I'm sure you already know, of course, is that certain antibodies are not even actually activated until the body's temperature rises. And so you're actually creating an immune suppressed body long-term by not allowing the body to do what it needs to do. Wow. Beautifully said. I, I love it. I don't have to do anything. I just turn the show over to you and just kind of hang out. <laughs> wow. uh, yeah. And my kids, of course, we've used white willow bark tincture, right? That's been part of our journey as well as yeah. fever for you, all the things you're talking about. And, and, you know, of course the, the response is, are you sure that's safe? Uh, I'd say about a million times safer than Tylenol and aspirin. And really, uh, which causes a lot of problems because it's synthetic. It's not God made. It becomes now man made, and man's arrogance and our ignorance uh, leads us into a lot of trouble. I'm I'm praying that we can learn from it. Finally, I know I have, and I've helped my children to be raised differently than I have, so they have not been subject to the chronic diseases I was. It sounds like you have. Uh, do you have more than one kid? You mentioned your I son. just have the one right now, but same thing like you, completely unvaccinated, completely out of the system. And nice. you know, for the longest time before COVID, people were like, oh, "What do you mean? Like, how is he not? Like, aren't you scared about him?" And I was like, "No, he has an immune system. Thank God." You know, and how old is he? He's five. Five. Okay, so he's still in that early phase of learning. Um, you know, my daughter when she was five, four, three, even uh, the first word she learned to read was organic when she went out with her friend. <laughs> Yeah, you know, when she'd be offered food or the parents would say, here, have a snack. She'd say, is it organic? And they'd say, yeah. My son says that. Is that too much sugar? I have to ask my mom if there's too right? much sugar. <laughs> and, and then and then even if a parent said, yes, it's organic, she said, let me see. And she knows how That's to amazing. read at that point. So, uh, yeah. and, and, you know, the opportunity to learn about their own bodies, that symptoms are communication tools from the divine, you know, uh, essence of who we are or what we inhabit in this body while we're here. Give them an opportunity to learn, hey, you know what? You're going to go out, you're going to be tempted, and you're going to eat stuff when we're not around. And and, I'm, and I said to her, as I did my son, it's okay. You do that, but I want you to pay attention to what your body tells you because it's yes. smarter than any doctor. It's smarter than your mom and dad. It knows better than we do. All right, what do you mean? And, of course, they go out and they tried it, and they're like, ooh, I don't feel good. But they knew why. It okay. wasn't a mystery. Like, I was victimized by all of my ailments and symptoms, and the doctors never once said, what are you eating? It might have an impact. And, I, and immediately they knew what they put in their bodies. It would manifest immediately as symptoms that uh, are communicative, not because it hates you, <laughs> but because there's love there to say, hey, you're doing it wrong. Don't put that in. That's it's not poison. what's supposed to go. 
Yeah. And, and I've said this to people who, uh, who can go to a fast food restaurant drive through and eat that stuff, factory farm food and not at least get diarrhea. They're not well. And they're like, and look at me. Right. Like, Cause they're like, oh, it doesn't make me sick. And I was like, yeah, your body got used to eating so unhealthy, which yeah. is not a good thing, you know, hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. If you, and if you can reject it and throw it up violently. You're, you're strong and healthy. Exactly. You're right. Cause if I eat something bad, it's like, it doesn't even make it through my system before I'm puking it out, out of my system. And I feel perfectly fine. Like literally your body rejects it instantly. And that's the way it should be. Right. And that's why, like, I think the biggest thing is us planting the seeds of people recognizing that there's something broken in the system and take advice from someone who's actually healthier. Typically the yeah. doctors and the health experts, for example, that we've seen over the last few years, there's nothing healthy about them. They're overweight. They look tired, exhausted, their skin, like, you know, loss of hair, everything that's the opposite of being healthy. And it's like, so why are we taking health advice from people that actually don't understand the first thing about being healthy? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I love it. Tanya, you're amazing. And uh, I'm thrilled to connect with you. I'm just like, what took us so long to connect? That's the weirdest thing. But, you know, timing is everything on life. And, and I guess the question is, uh, being in Canada, are you stuck there? Can you come to the States and visit? Can you do a presentation? Well, I was in Miami. Yes. Okay. The, the difference is, is it's not very easy to drive across is okay to fly. Not so much. I was, I knew where this agenda was going. So before mandates even happened, I had found a doctor who got me a medical exemption and, and for me okay. and my family and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, but essentially it's not very easy. So I don't, I, that's, sure. I just use my medical exemption, but they didn't even ask, to be honest with you. They said, do you have it? And I said, oh, I'm medically exempt. And that the conversation pretty much ended there. Okay. So good, good, good. You know, but yeah. that's, it's, it is in Canada. You're still able to leave. So we were in Turkey for six months last year when people are right. like, how did you travel? And I said the same thing. I just had my medical exemption or your religious exemption and you just go. And I tell everybody work on getting a second passport, man. Find yeah. your ancestral roots, find out what you got to do and work on getting a second passport. Because even if they try to lock you down, regardless of the mandates or anything with the second passport outside of Canada, you're able to get up and go regardless of the rules. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm concerned about Canadians because uh, they talk uh, freedom like America in many ways, but the Charter of Rights doesn't acknowledge rights coming from God. It was an act of parliament. And it is distinct and different uh, when yes. they don't have that to go into the root, the heart of, of creation itself. That's and so right. there's a vulnerability there. That's right. You're right. People have lost their touch with, with, uh, and not just that, I'm sure you see it in the school systems, right? They've removed God from the school system and brought in everything demonic. And so it starts, uh -huh. especially now at such a young age to no longer believe in a higher power and just believe in a governing body. Yeah. Now, are you able to do some public events in Canada or were you in Miami doing yes. a public presentation? No, no, we can do public events. It was actually like even live in 20... 2021 has been two years ago now, almost three years ago when we were in BC and we held like a massive music festival live in the middle of like lockdowns and everything. And we had over easily 15, 20,000 people show up where it was just a straight music event. It was like as if it was a live concert outside to get right. people to remember who they are all over again. And, and, you know, so we can do that in Canada for sure. And I find that even like you have to get permits and stuff, but they're pretty fair on getting it to you, but it's just a matter of showing up. Like I had been organizing my first rally in May 2020 and all along. So they don't really stop you. I find that the news though puts a big image on scaring you out of doing it so that people don't actually show up and they're worried about being arrested or something. Right. But events are happening all the time and they're still happening. Yeah. So our yeah, and then the question is, is there an upcoming events tab? We have that on our website at robertscottbell.com to let people know where we're going to be, what events we're participating in. You know, as I mentioned, we got the uh, Virginia events coming up starting tomorrow. 
Uh, then the Clearwater event with Nutritional Frontiers. Then I've got an event in Utah, BeHealthyUtah.com, uh, the 21st and 22nd of April. And then later in um, April, toward the end, 28th to the 31st, we have uh, the big event with the, the Warners in, in Nashville, Tennessee. So I love to have people come out. I think that's a big part of uh, what what really transforms us, and not in isolation, but by coming in together and celebrating life right. and learning about no, life. Canada doesn't have as many events. Like they still have like sometimes like weekly events. The main event that I know of is Children's Health Defense Canada is having like a massive event in the fall, okay. um, which will be nice. It's almost like a gala type, but not as often as you guys are having it. No. Okay. So do you have anything on the calendar right now in Canada to, that we can, because we do have a lot of listeners in Canada. I, I'd be happy to share it with you. I'll, se- I'll send you a link. Yes. On some of the okay. events that are happening. And I, I long to go back because I just had great, great events every year yeah. I was in Toronto. I haven't been out West like to you, to Ottawa further, a little further West and or further. I haven't been to BC yet. Would love to eventually, but uh, I don't know when it's fully opened and they, they're having these events that I could yeah, be. Yeah, right now it's fairly open in Canada. Like okay. everything's pretty normal here. You have no issues traveling in and out or anything like that. Okay. Well, that's good. Well, hopefully we can get back to to visits as well. I, I know there are a lot of people that are there that that have good hearts that aren't fallen prey fully to this that's right. state mentality that says the only way through is 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 you know free stuff from the government, which is a, a, a delusion, unfortunately, but it's a uh, an immature, spiritual immaturity, I would argue as well, that That's we right. must grow up. And I know that can be offensive to some to hear, but I'm willing to offend in order to make these changes possible so yeah. that you don't have to be victimized going forward. That's right. 100%. All right. We, well, we got a few minutes. It's been a great hour. Just I, I've enjoyed just kind of hanging out and chatting with you, which I kind of sensed I would. Uh, what you're doing is extraordinary. Uh, as you. far as you got a five-year-old, uh, your husband's on board then on all of this? 100%. Yeah. yeah. That's actually... I was a conspiracy theorist pretty much around the same time that we had, when we had met nine years ago Mm -hmm. and that's the conversations that we were kind of happening. And that's when my light bulb went off and I was like, okay, you're, you're a critical thinker with all these topics. So thank God from day one. And I know it's hard. A lot of couples aren't, but he's been aligned with me a hundred percent of the way. So that's so we used to make jokes as he'd want to go to the rallies and I'm organizing these rallies. And it was kind of like, okay, well, since I'm organizing them, I'll go and you stay home just in case one of us gets arrested. At least it's not both of us. We've got a kid to take care of. So (laughs) he'd stay at home while I was kind of attending those. Yes. All right. Well, um, I, I, and I think about moving forward and I'm just, this is a message to the young people that aren't yet married that are looking for a a mate. Make sure you have alignment even more so than religious beliefs. Honestly, people uh, from different religions can marry more successfully than people that have a different belief about vaccines, for instance. Right. You better align yourself on the medical side of things because that's where any any discord that comes in that might result in a separation or divorce, the state will always align itself with the medical church. Therefore, right. if one uh, one parent doesn't believe in, in in injecting these toxic poisons and the other does suddenly, they use it to spite through the anger of a divorce. Please, please, please find an alignment there first, along with the love, hopefully that's genuine uh, before you go into it because that will be... Uh, much more successful. And of course, the kids will benefit greatly. I love that you're saying that you're right. Because when it comes to your kids as a parent, you might put love first. But when it comes to a parent, and you want to protect your child, especially mommy's instincts, and a father might have a hard time say seeing that alignment, they will go against the mom and deem you more dangerous to the child and, you know, give custody to the father. Yeah. All right, Tanya, as we wrap it up here, is there any other message we didn't relate today? Again, I feel such an alignment there. I just uh, want to give you and your whole family a big hug and thank you. 
Thank you. Thanks for having me. Honestly, other than the fact that I find people just need to empower themselves and learn the little tools that they need to, to, you know, be more sustainable, whether it's building your income and something online, whether it's having your own little garden, even if it's a small little garden in your kitchen, just empowering yourself to being more dependent on yourself so that you can teach that to your kids and future generations to come versus handing away your power to a governing body. I think that's the most important thing is we hold the power and we need to find our like-minded communities around us to just give us those tools that we need to just flourish. Yeah, beautiful. And please, Tanya, if you will, uh, uh, introduce that Utah Safe and Effective documentary uh, for your community. I think they'll benefit. Absolutely. They'll be able to share it even with doctors because it's, again, it's so heavily well-researched. And again, it's apolitical. It's not trying to convince anybody of a political view but just the experience we've all been through and help you see the conflicts of interest that have caused a lot of crisis, a lot of division, rift, damage, injury, and even death. We'd like to not see that happen again. Hopefully we can learn from it. Absolutely. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure as always. God bless you. Tanya the Herbalist, and you got the website linked up at robertscatbell.com. Sign up for the uh, newsletter at robertscatbell.com or text my initials. RSB to 22828, the number 22828, send RSB, and you'll immediately be prompted to enter your email address. You'll get plugged in there and all the upcoming events. We're heading out to Virginia to be with my good buddy, Jonathan E. Moore, a Save America tour coming up, Three City Tour and more. Check out the upcoming events. And again, links are in the show notes. Thank you, Tanya, as well. Thank you. God bless you all. The power to heal is yours. Thank you.